Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Our text today is, is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray for your blessing upon us as we discuss the, 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 the hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard those stories about someone lost at sea? In the summer of 2017, two longtime commercial fishermen John Aldridge and Anthony uh, Sosinski set out to fish from Montauk, Long Island. As they headed out to sea about 40 miles offshore, Anthony was sleeping below deck while John started to get things ready for the catch they would soon begin to haul in. He was pulling on a handle with all his might when it snapped sending him sprawling backward and right off the boat into the sea. The boat was on autopilot, so it just kept cruising. As soon as he resurfaced from the water, John began screaming for help, even though he knew there was no way Anthony would ever hear him. And Anthony didn't hear him. The boat continued moving away. And John watched the boat go up and over the crest of a wave, and then it was gone. Like that, he couldn't see it anymore. He was alone, treading water in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean without a life vest, thinking this was the way he was going to die. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? If there's ever been a hopeless situation, that has to be it. Or is it? While John was trying to calm down, quiet his thoughts of certain death and stay afloat, he realized that his boots were very buoyant, and he got an idea. He took one off, emptied it, and plunged it back into the water, so it created an air pocket, and it did. It worked. It floated. So John stuck his boots under his arms as flotation devices. At least he could stay afloat. A flicker of hope. John thought of his family and the fact that no one anywhere even knew he was missing, except maybe the two sharks that swam about 15 feet away. But fortunately, they didn't seem to care. He tried to set goals beginning with just living until the morning. 
Four hours later, Anthony woke up and realized John was gone. He called the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard began its searching procedures, even though they felt the commander uh, admitted he didn't have much hope of finding John in so much open water. <clears throat> On the boat, Anthony uh, broke, found the broken handle and knew that John must have been what he was doing and, and, and that he went overboard, which also meant he knew the ocean depth of where he would have been doing it. John made it alive until morning and tried to keep his hope alive. But the hours kept passing and there was no sign of help. Finally, he spotted a fishing buoy and was able to reach it and climb onto it. This was a new surge of hope. In less than an hour, a Coast Guard helicopter flew nearby and spotted John waving and splashing around. They pulled him up safely. We've been looking for you for nine hours today, the Coast Guard rescue diver told John. Well, I've been looking for you for 12. Miraculously, John Aldridge survived. What an amazing story. And what amazing hope. If it were most of us out there bobbing in the middle of the ocean, we probably would have given up hope that there was even a chance, even a sliver of chance to survive. But hope is like that. Hope is the whisper that maybe, maybe these boots will float if I turn them upside down. What is hope in your life? For some, hope is the first candle to be lit when the power goes out in the storm. Hope is the first day you wake up and breathe and can breathe again after a really bad cold. Hope is that percentage you do have of beating cancer. Hope is the faint line on that stick when you've been struggling to get pregnant. It's the first ray of sunshine through your windful, uh, window after a tearful, difficult night. Hope is the first soldier to land on the beach. It's the first hearing of the words, he's going to be okay. Hope is a flicker of maybe, just maybe. Hope is the fuel of faith and dreams, and hope is what we celebrate on this first Sunday of Advent. Advent is actually a season of hope. The word Advent comes from coming or arrival, and it's a season marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. And Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that links the past, the present, and the future. It offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate His birth, and be on alert for His second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ's coming, while at the same time looking forward 
in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. In a season often marked by frenzied busyness, Advent is an opportunity to set aside time to prepare our hearts and help us place our focus on a far greater story than our own. The story of God's redeeming love for our world. Like John, like, like John the fisherman, I, uh, the waves and sharks uh, swirl around us. And we see it even now, that the danger of, of a pandemic, rising food, gas and heating costs, increased crime, evaporating religious freedoms. And all through this, hope calls us to take our eyes off the waves and look to Jesus. Advent is not a season of pretending or covering over. It's a season of digging deep into the reality of what it means that God sent His Son into the world to be Emmanuel, God with us. All too many people use Christmas season as a season of ignoring reality and, and creating this pretend world. And real Advent season is accepting, recognizing, and accepting the reality around us and knowing all through it, God is with us. Season of expectation and preparation, an opportunity to align ourselves with God's presence more than just a hectic season of giving and receiving presence. So wherever you are on your own spiritual journey, I invite you into this season. I encourage you, I challenge you to take time to quietly contemplate on the focus of this season. Maybe purchase uh, an Advent devotional or find a free one online or start a tradition of decorating a Jesse tree with, with your children or grandchildren, or find an Advent reading plan. Take some special time during this season, these quiet moments among the hustle and bustle. It's, it's great to have events and activities. I'm a big fan of Christmas traditions, but it's important to not let all that cloud out what really should be a primary focus in our hearts and lives, and that is Jesus Christ as Emmanuel, God with us. Advent is a time that allows for questions as we struggle, I'm sorry, for questions and struggle as we take time to prepare our hearts for Christ's coming. Advent is not a celebration that God comes to fix things. from broken computers to broken families to broken and hurting lives. Rather simply, Advent is a celebration that God comes. God comes to be with us. He is God with us in the darkness, in the pain, in the chaos, 
he comes and he makes a way. It's hard for us to be patient in those times. When, when will God make a way? It's important to remember that hope is not the 40 meter dash, but it's an ultra marathon. God works in our lives, but He often takes more time than we'd like. God makes us wait. Meanwhile, He stays with us. In the darkness, in the pain. That's the way God has been working throughout history. You see, back in the beginning, in the way God intended this creation, God walked freely and openly with Adam and Eve. He was with us. And humanity enjoyed wholeness and intimacy with God. But you know the story. Adam and Eve chose sin. Separa uh, separation divided gods and humans. The brokenness of our world, as we know far too well, is the ongoing result. But you realize, do you realize that ever since God has been working toward restoration and healing and wholeness for us and all he has made, this is the overall story of the Bible. Throughout it, we can see God making a way and giving and reminding His people of hope that He is still at work. We see it in God's covenant with Abraham, uh, then called Abram, where He said in Genesis 12:3, "All peoples on earth will be blessed through you." And then when God encountered Jacob at Bethel. He renewed that covenant and reinforced the hope rooted in his faithfulness when he said in Genesis 28:15, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. But much time passed. Years and generations and centuries and we humans are an impatient breed. How long, O oh God? was the cry of the ancient Israelite people from the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to David, Elijah, and Elisha, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and many other prophets. There was a repeating history of devotion to God and neglect of God. There was prosperity and there was recession, feast and literal famine, pleasure and pain. The Hebrew people weren't much different from us. It's easy to be judgmental of them, but they're a lot like us. When things got good, they tended to forget about God. When things got bad, they cried out for God's help again. But through it all, there was a deep and ongoing longing for God to fulfill His covenant and His promise of a Messiah who would come to make everything right. This wasn't just a happy idea that drifted in and out of the Israelites' consciousness and culture. This was a deep hope, their deepest hope, that sustained them and encouraged 
them and spurred them on, especially through thousands of years of uncertain waiting. In the midst of that long journey of hope, Isaiah is what Bible scholars call a major prophet. He wrote a lot and uh, taught a lot and played a prominent and public role in Israel. He was a famous guy in his day, though not always popular, especially when he was telling kings and the general public things they didn't want to hear. Like, God doesn't like the way you're cheating poor people or an enemy empire is going to invade and destroy your country. But you might say Isaiah is the poster prophet for Advent. And this season of longing, expecting, and hoping for God to be with us. Through Isaiah, God gave Israel and us many prophecies and promises about the Messiah that he would send. And and in that way, Isaiah was the voice of hope. You probably know many of these teachings. Scripture uh, from the book of Isaiah is popular around Christmas. Many passages from Isaiah are the lyrics of Handel's Messiah. That grand, stirring music written in 1741 has lasted for centuries as part of our Christmas tradition. Missy and I were not long talking about this. They're, they, In this part of the country, you don't, I, I haven't found anybody who does that, who plays, performs Handel's Messiah in Christmas time. Back east, we found a place in Alabama and, and loved it. It's going on 300 years old now, and it's still a pot. Why? Because of its beauty and complexity and truth. Because it is a moving soundtrack of hope, no matter what musical styles you favor. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus, but he gave us beautiful words that ring with hope For the coming Messiah. Listen to some of these. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And will call his name him Emmanuel. Nevertheless, uh, this is Isaiah 9.1-2 Nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun. And in the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And a little little later in the same chapter, Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Can you imagine living in the ancient world well before the time of digital 
or uh, even much written information and hearing a message like that. Can you imagine the hope that would spring in the people's hearts? I kind of wonder how many young people heard that. Maybe teens, maybe even younger. An eight-year-old heard Isaiah say this, and he got excited. And he grew his whole life. He became an adult, got married, had children, provided for his family. His children got married. They had grandchildren for him. And he's on his deathbed thinking, I, I thought I was going to see the Messiah. Waiting. Did Isaiah understand all these messages and promises? On some level, yes. But on others, probably not. He sure didn't know God's timeline when it would all happen, when the Messiah would come. Perhaps Isaiah thought it would be in his lifetime. Or maybe he was wise enough to know that God's work stretched out for generations and generations. But Isaiah was filled with hope, and God's promises fueled him and his people to continue to hope for years and centuries. His vision of God with us still fuels hope inside of us millennia later. As we turn our attention to the Christmas narrative in Luke, Zechariah would have been well acquainted with the words and prophecies of Isaiah. He was a priest. Luke described him as righteous and blameless. He was a good Jewish follower of God and a spiritual leader to his people. And he undoubtedly held deep longings for the Messiah who had been promised. But Zechariah was still in shock when suddenly, out of the blue, on an ordinary day when he was going about his priestly duties, God dropped a mega dose of hope into Zechariah's world for the people of Israel. Picture it. It's been 400 years since Israel had a clear prophetic voice and message from God. 400 years. Think about how long that is. The United States is only 245 years old. To give a comparison for us, about 400 years ago, Johannes Kepler, the famous scientist, was discovering his planetary laws. North America was still being explored by the Europeans. Jamestown had just been settled. And Henry Hudson had just been discovered, or had just discovered Hudson Bay. So a long, long time ago, with many lives come and gone in between, but close enough in time that things are recognizable in our knowledge. So when an angel showed up and told Zechariah that he would have a son who would go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah knew the significance. He knew the prophecies of the Messiah, and he also knew this was a miraculous occurrence all the way around. You see, Zechariah and his wife were old. Too old to have kids. And this was a big deal for them. In those times, it was shameful not to be able to have kids. Zechariah and Elizabeth would have wanted to have children. They would have tried to have children and hoped and prayed uh, to God to bless them with children, but it never happened for this couple. Even though they were well thought of, especially Zechariah as a good priest, the fact that they were childless would have been a stigma on them, an asterisk on people's minds. Oh, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, people might have said, good people, but they never had any children. Oh, yes, such a shame. Others might have answered with a knowing, slightly condescending tone. So when Zechariah received a special angelic delivery, he was a bit in shock, to say the least, and he couldn't quite get over this part about him and his old wife having a child. Who, me? We're old, God. That's not possible. As a result, God made sure Zechariah remained literally speechless until his son John was born. Now, this was certainly an inconvenience. But can you imagine the hope that sprang up within this couple and the people around them when they heard the news? The old prophecies are about to be fulfilled. The one who prophesied to come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare to restore hope that he is still here, that the human expression of God with us is still coming, that God is about to stir things up and change eternity forever. Hope in Israel was alive again. Hope on earth at its deepest levels was alive again. Maybe some of you are thinking, that's all nice and great for those people thousands of years ago, but what about for us? What about for me? They weren't fighting cancer. Their spouse wasn't killed fighting in a war on the other side of the world or didn't walk out on them. They didn't lose their job with no warning with bills to pay and debt stacking up and kids expecting Christmas presents, not to mention meals on the table. No matter what problems and struggles you are facing right now, no matter what kind of season of darkness and pain you are in, let me encourage you not to abandon hope. Hope is still alive. Even in our deepest pain and most seemingly hopeless circumstances, hope is alive because God is with us. How can we know? How can we find that tiny spark of hope when we're on the verge of giving up, I think there are several ways uh, that all of us can kindle and reconnect with God's hope during this Advent season, no matter what kind of circumstances we are facing. 
the first is hope based on God's word. Part of God with us is written right here in, in this Bible. These are his promises to his people. Both long ago and today. They're a piece of him. They are beacons of hope. They are reminders that can penetrate our hearts and spirits and assure us that no matter what we are facing, no matter how bleak tomorrow looks, no matter how bad the pain, God will never leave us nor forsake us. And nothing can separate us from him. Consider these words in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say that surely the darkness will hide me and the light might become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Can you feel the hope in these words? You are not alone. God with us means that he is always that he always will be with us and nothing nothing can take that away. Scripture is filled with stories and words and promises that can rekindle a supernatural hope within us. As we move through Advent, let me encourage you to dig into the words of the Bible expectantly. Because God is with us. We can take hope that we are never alone, that He is always working in and among us, and that He is not done yet with His greatest and final work of healing. The second way we can rekindle hope is to put our focus on God's character on who he is and promises to be. There's a small story in the book of Mark in chapter 5 that's easy to overlook, but it's a great story of hope. It's about a woman. We don't know her name, but she is bold with hope. For 12 years, this woman had been bleeding somehow. No one had been able to help her. Doctors had tried but the woman's condition only got worse. It would have affected her and everyone around her in her life. Those of you with long-term illnesses can probably relate. This woman was probably considered unclean and treated as an outcast because of her health problems. Even people who might try to understand her problem couldn't and she didn't understand it herself but she heard about this Jesus she heard the stories the miracles the healings and she believed hope awoke inside of her the hope of healing the hope of a new life drove her to take action
just get close enough to touch his clothes. I'll be healed, she thought to herself. If this Jesus is who he says he is, he can heal me. It was a bold hope she held. It may seem like a small action to us, but she did what she could just to get close enough to Jesus and reach out. And when she did, it made all the difference in the world. Was it hard to do that? Probably. Jockeying her way through the noisy, clamoring crowd wouldn't have been easy, especially with a long-term illness, especially if she was stigmatized and looked down upon. Was she afraid? Most likely. Especially when Jesus began looking for her in that throng of people. I have a feeling she expected just to touch him and then be on her way. Disappear in the crowd. No one will know. No one will see me. But the moment she did it, Jesus began asking who touched me. That probably scared her. And his disciples were confused. What do you mean who touched me? We're in the middle of a crowd. And she admitted, it was me. And Jesus connected with her deeply and directly as God with us. And the healing, peace, and freedom he gave her changed her life. This is our God. This is his character. Jesus is worthy. He was and still is God with us. He fulfilled Israel's hope for the Messiah. When he arrived the first Christmas, he fulfilled humanity's hopes for victory over death when he resurrected that first Easter. And one day he will ultimately fulfill all hope and complete God's work of restoration for all creation. Until then, we, we hope. And we wait. This is the promise he loved us with to give us a foundation of confidence and boldness. In Matthew twenty-eight twenty, he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a promise worthy to fuel our hope. Because God is true to his character. Because of who he is, we can take hope in him. God will never let you down. The third way and final way I'll cover today on, on hope is the third way we can find and choose hope is by focusing on God's faithfulness. Focusing on God's faithfulness. How has God worked in your life? What are those moments and memories when you've experienced God's work in your life? You know those times? When you had no doubt He was there and He was working? Maybe it's been recently. Maybe it's been a long time ago. But in those circumstances, 
swirling around you, the presence of God's Spirit was with you. What does that have to do with hope? What do those memories have to do with your here and now? Well, you see, gratitude breeds hope. Thankfulness fosters hope. Acknowledgement and appreciation bring hope. Perhaps it's, uh, it's good that, that we have a holiday of Thanksgiving just before Advent. And I, I certainly hope that you took time out during Thanksgiving to express your gratitude and appreciation to God. When we take time to remember, it strengthens our hope. Listen to these words from Jeremiah found in Lamentations, a book many of us may not spend too much time reading. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you catch that at the beginning? Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah understood that there is hope in the future when we remember what God has done in the past. He knew that hope sparks like a fire. It flows like water. It grows like a seed. Hope grows and spreads like a living thing. It can dwindle and wane, yes, even die, but with nurture and care, it can revive, flourish, and multiply. Focusing on gratitude can renew and grow our hope. Recognizing and appreciating the good that God has shown us in the past can increase our hope for all He will do in the future, sharing this Gratitude and hope with those who love and support us can multiply its effects. So I encourage when, when we could gather together for prayer, if you have something to share, if you have a testimony, something special, something that God's spoken in your heart and life, you share that. That builds your hope and others as well. Nurture this living hope. They can sustain us through our darkest days as we wait for God to move. Let me finish by sharing one more scripture verse, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my prayer for you today and this week and this Advent season, that you would overflow with hope and joy. Let's stand.
that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.